<laughs> I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't that. And, uh, and it wasn't better than that. Oh, fuck. Uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty much ready to go, man. Yeah, same. I got a couple trailers to talk about as well. That I haven't watched, but, you know, just the concept of Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> what do you think about trailers? <laughs> what do you think about trailers? What? What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Do you mean the ones that you put on the back of trucks or like what? Welcome once again aboard Beach Station as we race through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's kick it off. Um, thought we'd start off with another little trailer segment, boy. Um, gonna be honest, haven't watched these trailers, but I thought maybe we could just talk about the concept of these trailers. That's an interesting um, idea. I thought I'd start off by doing a gram smack. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the trailers first. Let's do that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so coming off the back of uh, Model Engines... The trailer oh, yeah. that we True. had the other week that's coming out very soon. I thought, you know, that's a, that's a, a book from our childhood that's being made into a movie. <laughs> um, there's a trailer that got released this week. I don't know if you saw this for Artemis Fowl. Oh, I knew this They're was in the works, a, but I had yeah, not seen the trailer. trailer's been released. Oh, neither have I. Sweet. <laughs> They're making an Artemis Fowl movie. And I thought like, oh man, are we now in like the golden age of like people remaking books from our childhood? Like, are they going to make like Harry Potter movies now? And <laughs> Well, um, yeah, look. Yeah. Um, and then, so you know how like last week there was a trailer release for that it Dumbo is a bit weird, light? isn't it? Because like those books have not they're not new. I thought they were right? niche They've kind of books around, as well. No, no, no. They were read by like millions. So probably some of the most popular books oh, that fuck. our generation <laughs> would have read. But how long does it take to make a movie? Because it's like genuinely fifteen years like 15 after years, the first apparently. Artemis well, Fowl see, I don't movie know. Like I imagine book. maybe it's the sort of thing where like it's shopped around for a couple of years with like movie rights and then like you know maybe like a studio sits on the script and sort of waits to find a good writer and a good director that are available and makes a script and all that and then just I don't know. know it just feels like these days you don't have that much time to fuck around with it let me put it this way if it's a kids movie none of the kids will have read Artemis Fowl no like none of the kids no. will have read Artemis so you're Fowl. gonna have to have these like they won't even have read like the seventh bastardized Artemis <laughs> Fowl book that's probably the most recent one in the series yeah, no. or whatever so you're gonna have to have like these books that were like good in these movies that are like good in their own right yeah. which is very difficult or these days. you make an M.A. Artemis Fowl and pitch it at like late teens mid twenties right. and so that's the other thing um, you know how Netflix did that uh, adaptation of the un- series of unfortunate events yeah I was excited because I loved those books as a kid and I thought oh, oh man what this a would sad be great. story went up and watched <laughs> um, uh, went up and watched it on Netflix and it's just I was like this it's is a, a kid show it's abysmal it's like a fucking kids show and someone's like oh yeah the kids books and I thought fine but like also if the audience you're going for are people that read that as kids wouldn't you want to like bring it up and make it darker and make it how you thought it would be like I thought by comparison I thought that movie with Jim Carrey was almost better than this Netflix series it was Um, you see again I watched that when I was younger so maybe like as I age my skepticism for it has become yeah okay um but no, I thought that was interesting. The other movie... Mm. So, you know how, like, last week we were talking about that live-action trailer for Dumbo that Tim Burton's doing? Oh, yeah, I know where this one's going. Um, yeah. They've announced another one! They're doing the live-action Lion King! That yeah. got announced this week as well. This the one's, trailer's out for this that one. This one's a bit different, though, because the uh, Dumbo movie, as far as I know, takes a lot of creative license and probably moves away from the animated yeah. movie a fair bit. This Lion King one, if you guys haven't heard about this, go look up the trailer. It's like a shot-for-shot remake oh fuck really of Lion King well I saw, I saw an article that the headline was like these Disney movies aren't upgrades they're remakes um, yeah 
But yeah, I mean, they say live action, but it's, it's just better animation, isn't it? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, mm. <laughs> it's not trained lions. Yeah. Oh <laughs> shit! I saw a little. Um, I saw this is going to translate very well on a podcast. I saw you know how um, I can't wait. when you you see those like panning shots in an animated movie, and you get this parallax with like the trees in front of you and the background behind it. Yep. Um, I know you know think you know what I mean though. You know the yeah. parallax effect. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, the, the, bar- the barrier of entry on this podcast. You know how cameras is, uh, take in light? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but it was like a, a rig that showed how Disney used to do that back in the day. Oh, I saw that. I assume actually, they just yeah. animated it. They would like paint the trees on a bit of glass and they'd paint the background, the, like the middle ground on a separate bit of glass. Yeah. And then like the back background on a third bit of glass and have them like stacked <laughs> on top of each other. That was a real photo, man. <laughs> <laughs> they have them like, stacked on top of each other with a camera pointing down through all of them. And it's th- to get the pan, they would like slide the glass plates on top of each other yeah. at varying distances to get zooms into the background and like pans across this background. So cool. It's very cool. Yeah. It's also like really simple and obvious when you think about it, but I'm yeah. not sure that, yeah, if you'd asked me how they'd done it, I no. would have said that that we, was we the drew first. It. Yeah. Well, like, because th- I really like that uh, old school. Uh, hand-drawn kind of animation style. I think what we're talking about was Treasure Planet. Mm. I don't know if we talked about that on the pod or off, but um, we were talking about that yeah, movie. I think we've done it on. Oh my god, maybe I don't. I honestly don't remember anymore. Yeah, no. um, but about how that was one of the last movies that Disney did, all with that sort of hand-drawn style of animation sure. before yeah. they shut down that studio. Which is a shame because I think it's so much more technically impressive. It's beautiful. Than just like I mean, I realize that the CG type, like New Lion King look that they're going for, is probably way more technically difficult to do. But it's just way more impressive. I don't think... Technically difficult is a relative term for the technology that you have available to you at that point in time. So, I don't think it is necessarily, like, more difficult. It looks closer to real life. But that doesn't also make it a more pleasurable viewing experience. I think it's more charming. I reckon a lot of people... Well, you're like, someone drew that. And someone had to sort of stylistically decide how Pinocchio looks, for example. Versus, like, like, someone just tried to generate a photo that looked as photo... Yeah, these stories aren't meant to be real. I don't know why people think that we want to see a real fucking lion running around in a savannah being anthropomorphized like yeah there's something to do I, I don't know maybe i gotta look into this more but i heard someone talking on another podcast recently about how like they, they kind of as an offhanded comment said like they don't really make cartoons much anymore because kids don't like cartoons anymore and i was like <laughs> kids don't fucking like cartoons what do you what do you mean but i have not following it actively but i've noticed that there's a general trend away from you know films that are properly animated and they're trying to yeah. get you know the closest thing is is sort of that uh, Pixar Toy Story-ish thing where it's like well this is cartoon-ish well, but we still want it to look like it's real well, there's got to be a reason why Disney shut down that studio like maybe it's more expensive to do the hand it must be more expensive to do the hand animated stuff versus like I don't know how it's done it's but I imagine you'd like yeah. generate a lion model for example and then like pose it yeah so well like, now that they've got software for that sort of shit that's basically just video game software where yeah. like it'll it's just you're just rendering 3D models in a 3D space, exactly. and that's why maybe um, I think it's less charming because, like, yeah. with these old school hand-drawn animated movies, you get like the charm of like the old Jungle Book, for example, where someone's had to imagine how this cartoony bears could look to sort of convey this personality. Whereas, yeah. like, with the photorealistic ones, like, no, he doesn't. He still doesn't look a fucking real bear. But there's a little bit less. It feels like there's less imagination going on, even if that's not true. Yeah, I just don't you know really I mean. get. Like, I feel you know this. I think this. Um, this Lion King movie is probably going to be middling to sort of boring because people yeah. have already seen it before. And the uh, after you get past the first like five second like <gasps> visual thing, it's going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, no, and then no. it's not going to have that charm. 
that yeah. people you know that you get from that from that animated visual style and um and i think it's just going to lose out on most audiences you know where like it's not it's not as appealing to the children that were once appealed to or like the the children that are the age that cartoons attempt to appeal to you know sort <laughs> of like 5 years to for 15 years or whatever yeah. but it's also not going to appeal to adults who saw it and were fans at first because they've already seen it and it doesn't do <laughs> like anything who is, who is this movie for who, who's it for yeah, I don't no, I don't fucking no understand why I get with like Tarzan right like they did the new Alexander Skarsgård Tarzan thing a couple of years ago yeah and that took a really different approach right that made it really um, it made it very like that that made it really um, kind of grim dark and, and it, it was it was a reboot, you know. I, I get reboots. I think that there's still often a lot of new ground to be covered before you go back and reboot old ground, but, like, just as a sweeping generalization. But, um, yeah, I uh, like a shot-for-shot remake where they're just saying, oh, look, we can do this in 3D now. I don't, realize now. What it is. I don't Fuck that. get it. I thought it. the Jungle Book uh, I don't get it movie that all. came out the other a few years ago. I thought that was all right. I thought like that Did was- Did it change anything? Or was that also yeah, was like different. a shot for shot remake? Well, no, it was like different. I mean, to be honest, I'm not that familiar with the animated Jungle Book movie, but it felt right. different and it felt- um, Well, did a giant bear run around singing like Bear Necessities? Oh, did they have that in the original? No. <laughs> That's why no, I'm wondering if it's No, new. I mean, no, it's- Yeah, there's some of the same songs, but honestly, it was different enough. Um, I felt- and Maybe right. I'm wrong. Maybe I have to go back and watch the but it felt like it was different enough. It's sort of made it a bit darker and- um, Changed it up enough that it was interesting and like a different sort of. Obviously, it's the same story. Yeah, okay. but like, well, like the same story in twenty five words, the same story in like one hundred and fifty pages of script or whatever. You know, yeah, no, whatever. Like those but are like, different things. I feel, so. I feel like there was like enough enough variety in like how they were telling the story differently that um, it was worthwhile going to go see it. But I think that with this, I mean, if the Lion King one, if it's like a shot for shot remake, then fuck that. It's just bizarre. I don't I'll understand. Go see it. I'm I interested. Would, I would love to see a. Um, like a the marketing meeting or like the, you know, internal documents at Disney that explain why the fuck they're actually making that movie. <laughs> I mean, Elton John's going to get a fucking paycheck out of it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, he wrote all the original songs. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I'm aware. Mm. Well, Were you, you aware, um, listener? <laughs> get educated. Like, like, Do you know Elton John wrote the music for The Lion King? Man, I'm the worst music, <laughs> music guy ever. Um, so that's my that's my little uh, trailer segment right at the top of the show. Okay, I've got uh, I've got a little bit of a new segment um, that's not so much of a. Where the news goes at the end. Well, it's just what? a let's let's call it a fun little exercise. And <laughs> I guess if it's heaps of fun, it becomes a segment. If it's no fun, <laughs> we don't have to. We eventually, uh, just watch no movies and just do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you a quote. Okay. From a film, not just any quote. <laughs> it's a quote from a film that you almost certainly would have seen. And you have to guess which film it's from. Oh, this better not be some dumbass quote. No, it's a good one. Here it is. Here's the quote. Shoot. Do you think that God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he has created? All right. Now, I'll do hotter or colder, because I don't think you're going to nail it first guess. <sighs> the Matrix. No. Where's my hotter or colder? Well, it needs to be... Oh, okay. You know, I need, I need a second point in there. Would I have yeah, a... I, I would say so, yeah. Well, no, no the first one, no, you have to say point, I'm hot or cold. No, the first point works, because <laughs> the, the, the anchor point is the right answer. <laughs> right. 
So how close am I to what the hell close podcast am I to the right answer? Just answer? figure out how hot and cold Jesus. systems work. Next week, noughts and crosses. <laughs> <laughs> right, next week, the prisoner's dilemma. <laughs> um, uh, I'd pull the lever and kill three people I don't know versus one person I do know. Is that is that the right answer? Yeah, I would kill both prisoners yeah. and then take all of the reward money for myself. That's how the prisoner dilemma works. But there's a lever and if you if you don't pull it you get run over by a tram. Um it's not that. <laughs> Can I have the quote again? Some shit about God? Yeah. One more time. He put the quote away. <laughs> That's what I did. I didn't think he'd ask for it again. (laughs) If I hear it again, it might. (laughs) Do you think God stays in heaven? Do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he has created? (laughs) The truth. Okay, I'll I'll give you. (laughs) No, but warmer. Warmer. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you a hint because this is a ridiculous task. Give me a. Give me like a decade or something. Antonio Banderas. Is uh, in this easily film. Shrek 2. No. <gasps> it's Spy Kids. Very hot. <sighs> Are you talking about I'm Antonio talking about Banderas? Antonio yeah. <laughs> what? So now I just have to say Spy Kids 2? It's Spy Kids 2. <laughs> I, you know, I think I got it. You could have given me that. One more time. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. <laughs> Spy Kids. It's Spy Kids <laughs> 2. <laughs> yeah, well, put some air horns in a post for you, yeah, boy. Thanks. No, I there think are, I got it. For the listeners at home, millions of pieces of confetti are currently falling from the ceiling of my bedroom. <laughs> um, there's flares going off. Uh, there's a crowd of 25,000 people roaring. If you had asked me to name a third movie that Antonio <laughs> Banderas was in and I wasn't allowed to say Spike It's 3, I would have failed. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that he was Puss in Boots and the dad from Spy Kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that an insane quote? It's an interestingly someone, insightful quote. Yeah, someone That's funny. put that today. Just like, I keep having this quote in my head. <laughs> it's from fucking Spy Kids <laughs> 2. Next Delivered, week. by the way, by Steve Buscemi. Oh, not by Antonio Banderas. No, right. but Banderas is in the movie. But Next if I'd said Steve Buscemi's in this movie, <laughs> wouldn't have been your first guess. Spy. Oh, Spike it's too. <laughs> right. Anyway. Well, no, that's that's interestingly insightful. Next yeah. week I'll get Andrew with a quote from Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, you're fucked, mate. I've seen every bad kids movie <laughs> that exists in the last oh, thirty years. Come on. Give me one from Nanny McPhee. I'll fucking pick it. <laughs> should, should we try and <laughs> <laughs> Should we try and launch into the movies we're talking about this what, week? What movies did we watch this week? <laughs> so, for those of you listening at home, Chekhov's gun this week was the uh, reference to Smack that I made earlier. Oh, <laughs> it's just clicked. The pennies we dropped. I thought it was just another classic drugs joke. <laughs> um, this week we watched Train Spotting. Both of them. Both of them. I had never seen them before, and so I hung out with a buddy the other day and watched Trainspotting and Trainspotting 2 all in one long go. Mm. Um, I had seen the first of these quite a while back. Yeah, and you uh, said like a whole bunch of times, times, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then you just watched the new one for the first time this week. Correct. Right. Um, I don't know how we're going to go into this, but I (laughs) suppose we can... Sequentially? Start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Where's that from, Matt? Let's give... (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's give a bit of an overview before we get into it, because I think it's more interesting. A lot of people probably turned off by the premise of Trainspotting, if you haven't seen it already, because it's one of those films where I think you're either mad into it because you've seen it, or you would never watch it, because it's like, Requiem for a Dream is like that for me. Where <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie about how fucked drugs are, and I just don't want to watch it, because I think it'll be an unpleasant experience. Yeah, yeah, sure. But Trainspotting's not like that. So, it's, so a, it's like a comedy, kind. it's like a black comedy. Very Yeah, so it's based on a book. Um, that was written by, by Irvine Welsh. Irvine Welsh. Who actually has a cameo in the movie, apparently. He does, as yeah. a drug dealer, funnily <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sweet get. set in Edinburgh in like the late 80s, early 90s. The ladies. Kind of time. The ladies. <laughs> <laughs> ladies. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> um, set in the late 80s in Edinburgh. That was actually a dingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And it's kind of about this group of, like, friends, delinquents yeah. that are all, like, addicted to heroin and live in this, like, fucking heroin den. But it's funny. It's a black comedy, yeah. as you said and before. it kind of reminded me of what you, what you were saying about uh, In Bruges a few weeks ago, in that it's one of those movies where, like, nothing fucking happens. Mm. And if you're not into it, you're just not into it. You're like, what the hell is happening in this movie? Yeah, I mean, a like, lot of stuff f- happens, but there's yeah. no, like, massive complication halfway through the film. Yeah, yeah. right. So, like, I think... Um, uh, someone I was watching my friend I was watching it with uh, sort of described it friend a bit. of the show Mary. yeah, yeah um, we'll sort of described it as like um, almost like a British pulp fiction yes in that like there's lots of little vignettes and like nothing really happens um, yeah so I think that slightly <laughs> echoes the book the structure of the book which right. is based <clears throat> get out of my throat <laughs> Um, I think it's echoing the structure of the book, which uh, in, in which each chapter is from a different perspective of the gang. So, like, Sick Boy has chapters, and Spud has chapters, and they're written very. They're written at, in a stream of consciousness style from each character, and they're written in the Scottish accent as well. In, there's right? a lot of broad Scott and Scott yeah. in this book, so uh, it can be kind of difficult to read sometimes. <laughs> and the movie has like thick. Scottish accents. Yeah, um, um, apparently in the US they have what are the subtitles. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's a different fucking language. <laughs> I meant to make that an American accent, yeah, but then I you totally fucked. I it. only have one other accent, and it's um, it's Cockney or some shit. Pan British. It's a different fucking language, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> a, a perfect example of a Cockney accent. <laughs> Yeah, the book is based in like a stream of consciousness style and the different characters all have very different streams of consciousness that reflect their characters pretty heavily. And I think that when um, Danny Boyle was choosing how to make this film and when John Hodge was writing the screenplay, they kind of drew heavily upon that and sort of said, well, we'll make it very character-based. It's rooted in who whose experiences we're currently looking at, predominantly through the that of the main character, Mark Renton, or Rent Boy. So, uh, Ewan McGregor is the main character. He plays Rent Boy. Uh, and the loose through line is that they're sort of trying to get off... He's trying to get off heroin and sort of become not a total piece of shit and all of his friends kind of don't care yeah there's people people in the story have like varying levels of addiction and he mm. kind of fades in and out yeah yeah 
Um, I thought it was the first thing I noticed about this film was lots of crazy camera angles. Like yeah, Danny Boyle the, plays yeah, with it heaps. Really yeah. cool. Like within the first five minutes, the <laughs> I watched. It, I started watching this movie and like almost threw up and had to stop and go <laughs> back to it like three days later because there's this scene where he like dives into the grossest liquid pooiest toilet, toilet in, in the world. Scotland. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and um, apparently that was done with uh, chocolate mousse and yeah. crunchy peanut butter. Jesus, that is like, the, yeah, <laughs> that's the combo. That's the texture. It's just like the most disgusting shit you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's he, very you bad. And McGregor, like in this weird like dream haze thing, like dives headfirst into the toilet so in order to retrieve two two opium uh, uh, or opioid suppositories yeah. that he accidentally <laughs> shat out. <laughs> And so he's, yeah, he has to deep <laughs> dive so into this toilet to get him back. That scene involves him deep diving into the toilet and goes in, like, legs and all and, like, swims through this, like, surreal, like, lake of poo in order to get the suppositories. But the funny thing about it is, like, when he's in there, the water oh. is, like, crystal clear. It's like an underwater scene from a Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> but then when he resurfaces, he, like, comes back out of this shit hell hole. Like, oh. It's very yeah, bad. So that was a struggle. It's but very funny. there's a shot in that where he's looking into the toilet and the camera's like underneath the surface looking back up at his face. Yeah, it's all murky which is really and cool. gross and um, stuff, yeah. Uh, lots, of, lots, of we- lots of weird camera angles. Like, oh. Yeah, and he does a lot of um, very 90s bits where uh, like the camera will be chasing someone down the road and then it will freeze frame for a couple of seconds and just like <laughs> kind of like do be a little like- action snapshot. <laughs> or freeze frame and be like, that was me 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I was <laughs> thinking he does doesn't really do that too many times, but yeah. ju- just especially during the intro, and then he echoes it again because yeah. um, we get to this later in the second movie, um, which he also directed with pretty much the same cast and writers and everything. Yeah. Like twenty years later, which is very impressive, he <laughs> does the same thing a few times just to kind of give you that little sweet hit of nostalgia. Yeah, um, yeah, but a very cool movie to watch. I think not too much of it has aged particularly poorly, no, unlike was- a lot of its, um, maybe a lot of films from that era that had a very 90s feel to it. This is this has an extremely... One of the things that um, that I think is, is really uh, one of my favourite things about the original Trainspotting is the sensation yeah. of Scottish abandoned hope. They, they have sort of this fondness for how shit everything can be. Like, there's this, like... A uh, minute and a half long monologue that Ewan McGregor gives mm. about how shit it is to be Scottish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is <laughs> like, it, 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 equal parts like a love letter to Scotland and also like absolutely fuck our lives and fuck everything about yeah, the stupid Yeah, and it's sea. like, the, uh, we hate it constantly, but also if you insult it, we'll fuck you up. Yeah. And there's no way in hell that we could be anywhere else. Yeah, you know, it's, absolutely. It's, um, and the movie actually does a really good job, I think, of capturing that sensation, especially through the lens of what it was like to be really low socioeconomic, probably around a lot of drugs in, yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the best bits about this film, and I think one of the most iconic bits about it, is its soundtrack. It's got it's excellent. such a good soundtrack. There's apparently actually two albums worth of music that they've released for it. It's full of all sorts of stuff, lots of Iggy Pop, uh, lots of like seven, late seventies, eighties Bowie type stuff. Joy Division, Primal Scream. Uh, there's a there's a really great scene that's echoed in both films with uh, the Velvet Underground's Perfect Day. That's right, which is really good. Um, 
just such a great soundtrack and like a perfect pairing of like the tone of the film with, for example, Iggy Pop's Lust for Life, where it, like it's this wild, crazy track and it kind of matches the scenes as they go. And it's a really nicely film where I really noticed that a lot of the pop songs they'd chosen to pair with the scenes had matched really well. Yeah, uh, pop songs is a bit harsh for what music they've chosen because like while they that's popular music 70s and 80s popular music it, it got popular but it was what they're what they're actually doing is pulling music out from the underground music scenes of those eras that then became famous later right I, I don't know enough about the history of people like Iggy Pop I think Iggy Pop's fucking huge in like the right circles but like but they use a lot of uh, especially the electronic music a lot of it is like British house um, like yeah, acid house kind of shit yeah there's a bit of that there's um yeah, but such a great soundtrack, and it really matches, and like a really varied selection of tracks that really kind of match the mood of the, yeah. the mood of the movie. He picks the music for what the scene is really, really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. And then I think that it, it continues on into the uh, transporting too, which also has pretty pretty noticeably great use of music as yeah, well. Really great. Um, what did you think of the transporting two in relation to how it how it complements the first one? Before we jump into that, sure. and this is leading into my answer, let's talk a bit about the characters that are in the first one. Yeah, sure. So you've got Renton, played by Ewan McGregor. Um, he's kind of the anchor point of most of the plot. And I guess the rest of the crew are friends of his. Yeah, in like a way. side I think characters. They all went to, um, or a bunch of them went to school together. Yeah. So yeah, he's kind of the... The smart one that sort of is capable of um, escaping and is kind of caught up in this and, and has always been a bit above it, but has always let himself be kind of pulled back down into it. Very intelligent and well-spoken and, and you know, not bad looking and, um, well, you know, relative to the rest yeah. of them. I think it's a it's a point in the books and in the film that he's quite attractive. Yeah. You definitely notice in like the first one, like at the very beginning of the movie, Ewan McGregor looks like shit. Yeah, apparently he, because he's not, obviously he doesn't really carry any extra weight around him at the best of times. He yeah. lost, it, it, he lost like 10 kilos or something like yeah, that to play this role. Skinny ass. He looks like, he looks like shit and he looks great at the beginning of, he, he look, yeah, started 12, to look, 12 kilos. Yeah, Jesus. He started to look good at the end of the first movie. Yeah. But then like 20 years later, all the cast comes back to do the sequel. Ewan McGregor, they just can't stop the fact that Ewan McGregor looks like a million bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of, a it's lot like of the other, just one of those silver foxes. Yeah. And a lot of the other actors that right, kind of, we need of, you to make George Clooney look like absolute yeah, ex- dog shit. <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, I mean, y- yeah, we'll give him dark rings under his eyes and whatever, but like he kind of has those anyway, and it really works for him. So well, yeah, well, like the problem is like a lot of his other friends that played fucked looking characters in the first I have a one. Five o'clock shadow, like <laughs> oh, it's making it worse. Like they came back and also looked fucked in yeah, the yeah, second yeah. one. Like I think yeah. Sick Boy, yeah, Sick looks, Boy looks haggard. He just looks absolutely fucked in both of them. Yeah, and then <laughs> Ewan McGregor just looks like a movie yeah, star. Yeah, he does. He does the best. Yeah, clearly the most attractive of the train spotting crew. So. There's uh, Renton, second on the list, I guess, would be Spud, played by uh, Ewan Bremer, um, or Bremner. That's what I was thinking of. Spud looks absolutely fucked. (laughs) Spud is like a weird-looking guy in real life. Ewan Bremner is is a strange man (laughs) um, who's actually had a pretty interesting career. Um, He was in... Black Hawk Down. Oh shit! Um, he's like uh, uh, that's a good like point of of reference for the range of shit that he's done. Yeah, just a really eclectic uh, group. He was in like yeah, he was in Pearl Harbor back in two thousand one as well. Wonder Woman, um, all sorts of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So a really like strange mix. Yeah, um, but I think famously, yeah, Spud from yeah. the original Train Spotting Crew, and then um, Johnny so Johnny Lee Miller playing Sick Boy, and he's actually the only person in the main cast that's not Scottish. 
I think, and was like putting on an accent. He's from London. Oh, right. Really? Yeah. yeah okay. Interesting. Because, yeah, everyone else, really natural. I, and again, I think like that's a smart choice by Danny Boyle because these are the people who would know how to emulate a character that kind of grew up there. I mean, like, yeah. you know, for instance, Ewan McGregor, he grew up pretty sheltered in a in a rural town in Scotland. But I imagine so, yeah. So he wasn't experiencing any of this kind of stuff, but he would have, in the same way that you and I know what a bogan is like, y- you know, you can, you have a better understanding of it than someone who is, say, New Zealander coming across and trying to yeah, I suppose emulate so. what that is. It definitely feels like it'll be like uh, <laughs> the most like private school dude kind of like, oh, this is what a heroin addict's like. No, because <laughs> uh, I was looking at some making of stuff and they like, they shadowed a lot of heroin addicts for this oh, and, and talked to a lot of, <laughs> talked to a lot of guys in rehab. rehab. Followed yeah, dangerous just, <laughs> ass heroin followed addicts. Followed the most paranoid people <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they probably tried to make this as as authentic of an experience as possible. Yeah, y- you know, I think also Irving Welsh probably brought a lot of um, first or second hand experiences to it, which helped. Yeah. So uh, you've got Spud, and then yes, yeah, Sick Boy. Um, the next one is Tommy, who's only in the first one. Because um, I guess spoiler alert, um, he is is becomes a bit of a tale of tragedy because he's one who never tries heroin for most of the first movie. Yeah. Um, and then is given his first hit by Renton, and ends up contracting HIV and and um and dying, um, which is something that Renton kind of carries forward with him as a as a responsibility. Yeah. And then the next biggest character is Bigby. Um, who is like a, he's the one with the mustache when you start watching it. Um, he's absolutely insane, played by Robert Carlyle, who's who's been in heaps of shit. I thought he um, was just such an annoying fucking character. Like I know he was supposed to be. Yeah, he's like this uh, this scion of bad stuff that's going <laughs> to happen. Like yeah. he, every time he shows up, you just absolutely know he's gonna he's too unstable to not mess up whatever he's doing. Um, so he becomes this very, uh, especially in the second one, like threatening, menacing presence. Yeah. See, because think- he's he'll he'll just get smashed, and then like you know, it, one of the scenes that he's responsible for causing in the first movie, he chugs a drink, throws the glass over his shoulder. The glass uh, he's in the top story of a bar, and the glass falls down and hits a woman in the second story or in the ground floor, and then he like walks down into the main area, just being like, "Who the fuck was that?" <laughs> and starts a fight. Starts a fight for no reason. Yeah. Well, see, in the first one, he's he he was a character kind of annoyed me because he was so like irrational and like, oh yeah, I get it. He yells and he has fights, whatever. And so when that character comes back in the second one, I thought like, oh, this fucking guy. Uh, I actually thought he was a lot better as a character in the second one. I thought yeah. like. Him as like acting as this menacing character with a grudge, I thought it was a lot better than him acting totally irrationally and crazy, just for no reason. I wonder if that has something to do with um, that in the first movie he's part of the crew and they're all just with him but afraid of him. Yeah. Whereas in the second one he's not like they're not mates, and so he's just vin- like he he ha- has a lot of malice towards them. Well, you know, there's a bit of a pivot of his character relating to Renton there. Yeah, well, see, I think that's one of the reasons why I thought the second one was so interesting was because the, the plot of the first one, to go over it quickly and watch the movie if you want to because it's great. And yeah, I'd I don't strongly think, recommend watching yeah, both of these. I don't think it's really worth... I, I don't think the spoiler I'm about to drop is, like, movie-breaking, so whatever. But, yeah. like, the plot of the first one is that they find out a way to, like get all this heroin and sell it and make a big old bag of money off it and they're going to split it. and 16,000 pounds. Yeah, and then Ewan McGregor's character 
instead of letting them split it four ways, just runs off with a bag of money and, st- and moves to London. Yeah. And that's how the first movie ends. It's like with Ewan McGregor stealing all the money. And so the, the, and plot the whole of- point of it is like, someone will, someone, someone will always fuck everyone else over yeah. whenever there's an opportunity. Like yeah. someone will always, it will always be someone. And so Ewan McGregor's character at the end of the first one, the big moment of realization that he has is like, well, everyone else is going to take the money and piss it away on heroin. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to fuck everyone else over, but I'm going to use it to get out. Yeah. I'm right. going to leave. I'm yeah. going to go and I'm never going to come back to this style of life. And he starts so, up like a job in real estate or something. It's a exactly, heartwarming ending yeah. to the movie. Yeah. Um, so the, the second one then comes around this idea that Ewan McGregor, for whatever reason, has to return back to Edinburgh. and His mum dies. Yeah, right. Yeah. And his and friends- he's coming back to- For the, fun- for the yeah. funeral. Yeah. And his friends hold a grudge against him- for stealing the money. So, Sick Boy... Uh, it's, so, it's 20 years later. 20 years later, right. And this movie, they waited... So, the, the original Transplanting was two, uh, 1996. Mm. This was 2017. So, they actually genuinely waited until the cast had aged... This was signed off on in 2009. Oh, really? And they waited until the cast had, had physically, visibly aged by 20 years in That's order awesome. to make the movie feel correct. That's cool. You know? Because I just I, I saw it before we started recording that um, uh, the dude who wrote Transpotting, the book, wrote a book called Porno, Porno yeah. about the same characters 10 years later. Yeah. So I imagine the problem is now, if these are all movie stars, you wait 10 years and they look the same. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe that might have been what it was. Well, like, the second one, yeah. They signed this up was... for it in 2009, they're like, well, fuck you, Mugrug looks the same. Yeah, he still looks great. Dude, it's a movie star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's um, putting all this muscle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... um. The second one is then you uh, and McGregor dealing with all this shit that happens when he goes back to town. But so the interesting thing is, I thought that so sick boy Simon um, was like his best friend and his closest friend of the group, yep. and that's he's the one who like sort of like it's like fuck uh, yeah fuck you and McGregor fuck you and McGregor I hate him. He feels uh, the most betrayed, and yeah. so yeah, and he's like oh he's my best friend and he stole my money and left me here stuck in this shithole town running this shithole bar. I never got to go out and it's all your fault kind of thing. Mm. And then there's this interesting arc over the film as they sort of become friends again. And I think Sick Boy at the start of the movie says like oh I'm gonna trick you and McGregor into thinking I'm I'm gonna friend. do to him what he did to yeah, me. Yeah, and we're yeah. gonna like pretend that we're friends and get into this great little business venture together, and then I'm gonna fuck him and destroy him yep. and like destroy his whole life and the way that he sort of changes his mind and sort of realizes he's kind of kidding himself it's about like it that. sort of happens but it doesn't really happen yeah. it's very nuanced yeah. over the course of the film and the way their nuanced relationship kind of plays out i think is really interesting mm. and so the idea that um uh sick boy and what the fuck the angry guy's name is brenton we're both nah. not Brenton. I'm gonna go with Brenton. It's Brenton, <laughs> you're, you're right? You're mixing Renton and uh, <laughs> fucking Begbie. Begbie, right? So the way that um, so the way that Sick Boy, Brad Dad. <laughs> so the way that Bigbie and Begbie. Sick- oh man, Begbie. The way that Mustache and Simon <laughs> were like both wronged in the same way, but react in totally different ways. I think makes for an interesting exploration. Yeah, of the it is. You're right, and uh, and I guess where. Uh, sick boy feels very emotionally betrayed because he really felt close to Renton, inseparable as a friend. I suppose that's what it um, is. Whereas back, uh, big <laughs> Bagby, Bagby, <laughs> Bugby, Bugby, Bagsy, Begby, Begby. <laughs> What's his name? Oh, I accidentally said the right one. <laughs> Begby. I don't know which one it was. B e g b i e. Begby. I'm doing the Scottish Begby. accent now. Begby. Right. The so, way that Begbie reacts is just as like, it, fuck these fucking kids is, who I was just like stuck with for this purpose of this heist. Begbie's, kind of the point of Begbie's character is 
uh, rage. Just pure, yeah. unbridled rage. I read into... This sounds like a retcon, but I think it's legit. <laughs> I read some interviews by Danny Boyle, uh, and he said that um, the source of Begbie's rage is that he is um, actually an incredibly repressed gay man. Right. Um, and this sort of most influential bit on that is that at one point he's trying to pick someone up from a bar and it turns out to be um, a transgender person. Yeah. So a transgender woman. And he's like so and he irrationally gets angry about irrationally it. angry about it and and is like never fucking talk about this ever again to all of the to all of the guys. And yeah. Danny Boyle was like that's a probably a stronger reaction than even he would have and different yeah. to normal. It's not like that kind of like playful anger. It's, it's proper deep rage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, he's, yeah, apparently that's the, the choice was to, to make him have channeled all of that societal pressure placed upon him and an inability to ever actually express himself in the way that he truly is yeah. into just constantly being enraged at everything else around him. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Which is explored a lot further in the second one when he uh, is completely impotent for all of the film, even on like triple the normal dose of Viagra, <laughs> other than when he's chasing down Ewan McGregor's character to try and kill him. And when he's almost killing Renton, he gets a massive boner. <laughs> so I think it's a really interesting way to reflect, like to kind of perfectly emblematize his character where it's like, He's completely desexualized because of his place in society and being part of a, a a societal being part of a society that just won't accept him at all. Um, and so, like, he has no sexuality; he just has anger. But then, when he's expressing that anger, especially towards a man, yeah. then his sexuality is like <laughs> Only hyperactivated. Like, a whole ton of them. <laughs> no, but it doesn't work because he goes. He takes a shitload of the Viagra and he tries to pick up a girl, and she's yeah. super into it. And he goes to the bathroom, f- have a fiddle with himself, and nothing <laughs> happens. And yeah. that's when he's next to Renton, yeah. and they they have this funny little scene where um. Uh, Begbie drops the Viagra and it goes under the bathroom stall and it's like the screen is physically split by the divider between the toilet stalls yeah. and neither of them know that the other one is on the other side or that, that they're really even cool. in the same country. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds really cliched, but the way that it happens is great because they just sort of, um, they have a crack at each other without realizing and then you watch them in like one continuous take slowly realize <laughs> and like slowly go to peek over the top. It like, takes like- Motherfucker! It takes like two minutes <laughs> for them to realize. It's not like this quick double take for comedic effect. It's it's really yeah. tense, uh, and it's funny. But I thought that was a really interesting. I think that's a good representation of how like ha- what the first one is versus the second one. That the first one explores a lot of what these characters are, and it's very interesting to see how these people interact with this really harsh world. Kind of like how they live them. and like it's, it's a jokey little yeah. vignettes about like their lifestyle. Like yeah. there's a scene where like uh, Renton and Sick Boy are hanging out in the park shooting people with an air rifle from like far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of shit. They're just like, um, they, 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 they range between like playful hoons yeah. that you wouldn't want to be around but they're so funny to watch right through to like, oh, this person... Uh, is too fucked on heroin to take care of their child and so it suffocates and dies. Yeah. You know, it's like you get this full range of like playful through to like just as tragic as it could possibly be in these kind of circles. But in the second one, 
um, they've sort of learned and matured and become a little, in a way, a lot more careful and a lot more discerning. And the film itself feels less goofy. It the is. Second one. Like, it is. The first one has this narration that goes, sort of, that goes throughout, right? Yeah, Renton's narration happens yeah. a fair bit. I think and a bit again of like- that was a choice f- closer to the book. Yeah, where in you know in the book you get a lot of his internal monologue. Yeah, so. but again, so in the first one you get a lot of like the castle esque scenes where like Renton will say something in the narration, and then the scene that happens is so totally goofy and incongruous with what he's yeah. saying that it's like a joke. Um, which is which is cool, and that very rarely happens in the second one. The second one's a lot more serious drama kind yeah. of stuff. About, the first like, one he'll be saying like, you know, like the job we were scene, king of the world, and he's like pissing in a urinal or something. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but then yeah, in the second one, it's it's like sick boy has become like this pub bartender grifter who like um, extorts people for money, and the partner of this like really quite young European girl that he's kind of like met up with at some stage yeah and um yeah sick boy is is kind of like uh sorry spud has like gotten off it and got super clean and then there's this heartbreaking story about how he because like he's endearing and he's actually the only one i thought he was still a junkie in the second one well that's the thing he's he's the only one in the crew that's well-meaning yeah and but he's so simple um that like you get this, his character introduction in the second film is that he doesn't understand daylight savings. <laughs> and so he's an hour late to um, like a parole meeting or something like that. And then he's an hour late because of that to something else. And he's an hour late to see his son in a custody meeting. And then he's an hour late to the appeal or whatever. And he keeps being one hour late <laughs> exactly to things. He's on time according to him, but he doesn't yeah. understand that everyone else has like society around him has moved forward by an hour um, and he just doesn't get it until like, someone sits down and every explains year to him. Goes, that doesn't help when you've been a junkie for the last yeah, 15 exactly. years. Which is a very clever way to show like his displacement from the yeah. society. And uh, and so, yeah, we he, you know, uh, of course, because all that happens and stuff goes so wrong for him, despite the fact that he's trying really hard, he just falls right off the wagon again. Um, and that's kind of where we come back is that he's back on the gear yeah um and uh and yeah so he's he's got a really interesting uh kind of characterization in this second one too where yeah. you know sick boy is a smart grifter coke addict um <laughs> renton is trying to get his stuff together and sort of has but we find out that it's not quite as stable as it might seem and actually yeah. he's still just existentially bored by his life yeah sick boy is is doing his best but is still struggling because just of who he is and, and bingo is just coming out of prison absolutely yeah. infuriating yeah i love that first scene with begby <laughs> where he's um he's talking with a parole officer i think um <laughs> he, he like asks him if he said a thing in the parole meeting and the guy like didn't say it and he <laughs> ends up like tackling this guy over the table <laughs> and then the way that he gets out is he like hides a knitting needle in his jail cell or whatever and he makes a like an accomplice stab him and the guy like fucks it up it's and he's like <laughs> angry with him because he stabbed him too good it's so good um yeah yeah sort of like but comedy tragedy type shit it's there, so good like, yeah um yeah and i think the second one just takes this really uh it, it takes a lot more of a look at why the characters are who they are yeah not just what they're doing in this place yeah you know um, which yeah. is a really interesting choice when it's also taking place 20 years onwards because they've had a lot of time to move and grow and, and, mm. and sort of learn how to navigate this world. But it's showing that they're still very maladapted, 
you yeah. know. And I thought um, that I'm, I was talking to someone, uh, Callum, recently this week about, and this is kind of related, about um, big open world video games with a lot of mythos behind them that try and like... He's been playing Red Dead. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> so we're talking about The Witcher, for example, which is the Ooh. game, it's the game that's kind of like Lord of the Rings. And there's all this history and shit that's going on, or like... Uh, Game of Thrones where they'll just sort of mention in passing like oh that was that guy that killed the king and we'll move on yeah and how like, to effectively oh, world build your granddad yeah exactly about world building and about like oh your granddad was this guy that did this and kind of move on and they sort of talk about shit as, as if everyone knows what's going on and yeah. you as the audience you're kind of missing stuff but the way they sort of mention it in passing as this casual part of it the way they're building the world that yeah. you're not missing it completely but you're expected to it's like there's an expectation that you know things that you clearly couldn't know. Yeah, exactly. But it makes you feel like you're informed enough that you kind of get it. And it makes you feel like you're in the world yeah. kind of thing. They're not sitting in there like, right, this is Daenerys Targaryen, her father was this, and he did this, yeah. and this is this guy, and he killed this guy. Um, it just sort of They just sort of breeze past and sort of mention it in passing. Someone and will be like, oh, do you have the father's Targ madness yeah, or whatever? Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and so there are lots of video games that do that as well, and shit ones will sit you down and like explain all the lore, and you're like, oh, I don't give a fuck. But like, yeah. and there'll be games that have an equally depth amount an equal amount of depth to the lore and the story they have <laughs> um but they won't bore you in the way they explain it and just the way they deliver that kind of information makes it way more effective yeah similarly i thought that train spotting 2 was really interesting in the way that they um just sort of explained kind of what was happening in these characters lives over the last 20 years in a way that didn't feel like they were just sitting you down and being like all right year three renton was doing this year four he was doing this they're kind of like catch you up and sort of breeze past it and be like oh, what about this time where this happened and they sort of like create this whole other world out of train spotting which itself felt like a kind of closed little movie with these goofy little characters they're very isolated and they kind yeah. of fleshed it out and built it out into what felt like real if you know what I mean yeah, like, train spotting so. 1 felt almost like artificial and goofy like a little black comedy thing um, whereas train spotting 2 kind of took that and ran with it and built it out and fleshed it out into what feels like a real living breathing world mm. they in a pair, way that, the movies pair very yeah, well together in a way that yeah. didn't really feel like it's just a whistle stop explanation of what everyone was doing for the last yeah, 20 years totally a great example of that is when Renton is reintroduced to Sick Boy yeah and um, they kind of have one of those like snappy little dialogues where one of them's like um, have you been good have you been yeah good too <laughs> kids no you yeah too and then <laughs> you, you find out that like so and that's giving the audience information, right? So you find yeah. it, at that moment in time, you're like, "Oh fuck, Renton has two kids that we haven't seen like 45 yeah. minutes into the movie." And you find out later he was lying about having two kids. He doesn't have two kids. He has no kids. Yeah. Um and actually part of that is as a result of being on heroin for fucking 15 years or whatever. Yeah. But then the way um, they deliver that information gives you information about the character's relationship, of course, yeah. and about like the way that these people have sort of become uh estranged yeah and that kind of thing as well which is and a really effective way of he's like you know they're like oh why did you lie about it and he was like well i wanted you to think more of me yeah you know it's not even like they're doing it to just bait and switch the audience it's actually used for characterization yeah. even later it's very 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 clever yeah um this movie had every every right to be shit <laughs> and it's actually and i think credit to the fact that all of the same people were working on it that they all loved the original so much and and wouldn't have made it if they thought it was something um beyond kind of brilliant yeah and no, i thought um, it, i thought it was really good and it was very good i i mean the mary and joshua i was watching the film with both i think thought that the second one was better 
for whatever reason, I think I enjoyed the first one a lot. I think I enjoyed the first one more. Yeah, I think that'd probably be common for people who haven't seen the first one because the first one had a lot more of a. Um, I think the second one is only good if you've seen the first and one and you've become fond and familiar with these characters, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think for the in a row, well, it's I feel not like, only good; it's great. But you know what, what I mean. mean? It will be your favorite. It's a much if you're better familiar. experience. And I definitely yeah. feel like I could see how how that could be the the case. Yeah. Because with the first transporting, it's like a wild ride, and it's funny. And then it's got sad and bits it's so and new. happy bits. I've never seen a movie that was trying to do anything yeah. like that. And it's really different in the way that you're like, oh, that's a crazy experience. That was cool. And the second one is really good. And I see what you mean about like how if you had this fondness for the first one and you might have watched the first Transporting a million times, finally, after 20 years, T2 comes out and you get this warm feeling as you go back into this world and you introduce these characters and you find out what they've been up to in mm. like almost like a nostalgic kind of way. Um but I suppose watching them one after the other, I was definitely like, right, well, that was a lot more color and movement. I kind of enjoyed that more. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Makes, which makes me feel a bit dumb, if you know what I mean. Oh, no, I don't but think like, so. I think they're just doing... They have different, very different goals yeah. between these two. The second one definitely seems like a lot more like a more standard kind of dramery mm. kind of thing, if that makes sense. Two, I, I wanted to make two particular points sure. why I enjoyed the second one. Uh, not more, but uh, but what made me really love it? Yeah. Um. Number one, Ewan Bremner's performance of Spud in the second movie so good. was unbelievably good. He sort yeah. of in the first one he was sort of a second or third tier character, I guess, like maybe second yeah. tier. He wasn't a background character, but he definitely wasn't a focus. He's but one in or this two one, funny scenes like the job interview scene, whatever, really, yeah. really great. But you know, flashes of brilliance. Whereas in this one, you yeah. get a lot of time with him. A lot of it, he's by himself. He's almost one of the main characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. I think. I think all four of the men that we've mentioned get a lot in this more time. one are the four main characters. I don't think Renton. You know, Renton is the. Renton is a protagonist because he was the main character in the first one, but not because he has like, more importance. Like in the first one, the three his three friends are kind of sidelined and like it follows Renton. Whereas in the yeah. second one, it's almost like four different stories like the book might have been. You yeah, see. there might be even like a 25% split each way on who gets their story told, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were speculating on like contracts. <laughs> like they might have even been paid the same. Like, oh, like, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I reckon Ewan McGregor was probably paid a Ewan shitload McGregor more. Ewan McGregor was in Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I, I think uh, just the way that... The task that um, Ewan Bremner had of portraying this this goofball that has tried to do the right thing. And, like, so his character development in the second one is, is that actually he's the... He was always one to kind of observe things happening. And, and because he didn't um, take sides or get super involved in the in the ongoings, he was always just kind of caught up in the background. Yeah. Um he took a very observational perspective and he remembers all of the things that happened. And so he starts to write them down and he actually becomes this kind of like record keeper historian of the, the kind of um, pursuits and, and uh, escapades of the group of the gang. And he's very good at writing it down. And I think this is uh, probably echoing Irving Welsh's, I mean, yeah, see, oh, we, we fucked the names. Oh at this my point. god! So I thought it was going to get meta, and I thought that Spud was, was going to become the guy to that be wrote Train Spotting. Yeah, if that no. made sense. I thought that too. Well, like, they give it just, isn't like, fuck with reality and be like, yeah, and uh, yeah. it <laughs> isn't what happens. But I think it's definitely nodding at that of saying like you get these horrible experiences and horrible environments and horrible things. But if yeah. you tell them in the right way, they can be very entertaining and very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and Spud's character, despite being on paper the stupid one, 
is actually the best at reflecting that and condensing that down into into these stories and the yeah. way that he he actually is a, a, a quite an excellent wordsmith because he chooses very simple blunt words that at times work very well and you're often given straight excerpts from his writing yeah. which is also a really interesting decision but just the i think the performance that um Bremner had to make in order to make that character convincing was he had a, a real uphill battle ahead of him, and I think I, I think he won the Scottish BAFTA for this performance in the second movie, which is crazy. Like when you think about what that what that amounts to, he was asked to do I a mean, sequel. Scottish BAFTA, mate, doesn't amount to much at all. Oh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the significance is of it being a Scottish BAFTA, whether or not the film the category was for Scottish <laughs> film, or whether or not what the character was, yeah. or if they do a different ceremony. But anyway, <laughs> um, he won like the the Scottish best actor yeah and uh i i think he really deserves it because if you said to anyone okay you did this famous character in a, in a cult film so, so take like john travolta from pulp fiction yeah so say tarantino said okay we're doing pulp fiction 2 mm. it's gonna happen 20 years later everyone is 20 years older yeah. it's the same characters and then uh, like travolta's performance is so good that he wins an oscar for it that's like what has um, yeah, managed to do here. That, that, it's that very would be, impressive. That's a side thing. That would be kind of wild and very Tarantino. Yeah. If like, because like, half the characters in Bob can die anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you yeah. just ignore that, like Bruce Willis is back, John Travolta is back, the dude in the back of the car, he's back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, I forgot that he actually does. Yeah, for Pulp um, Fiction, he actually does die. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I just think like he had a very difficult task, and he really yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, no, you're right. I didn't see him as a particular standout from the first one. He was a very distinctive character, but not a yeah. particular standout. Not sort of character where like that guy's going to make you cry in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, but he he it was the most emotional without a doubt, and just yeah. the sweetest. And they really managed to explore Boyle the way that Boyle has constructed the story. Really manages to explore his role of um, always wanting to do right by everyone, and sometimes not being able to do that yeah. because he has to make choices, or and, and then often being collateral damage in those choices, you know, yeah. um, well, which I really just loved. Yeah. He was my favorite character absolutely by far in the second one. He was so good. I, absolutely. And I, was, I was most impressed with the second movie in general, just in the way in which the tone had changed so much mm. over the course of the 20 years. Like, the film really felt like it, it was like a matured version of Trainspotting. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, because Danny Boyle has done a shitload of stuff. Yeah. Um, he has done an absolute, like, you, you might not know by name, um, the the yeah. listener, um, but he's done, he's done like a, a whole bunch of stuff. Being an ill-educated so. moron that you are, <laughs> um, but Danny Boyle has done. He did uh, James Bond, didn't he? Twenty eight weeks later, as an executive producer, <laughs> the twenty twelve Summer Olympics opening ceremony. <laughs> he he directed Twenty Eight Days Later, which is actually one of my favorite movies. Right there you go. Um, really, really, really excellent director, and I feel like just having worked on you know um, like apparently they did Train Spotting. Um, and it, it had a very small budget. Yeah. And they sort of said, uh, yeah, all of a sudden they were getting all these massive offers from... No, sorry. I'm getting that wrong. They did Shallow Grave, which was his first movie back in 94. Yeah. And uh, it was hugely popular in England and in Scotland, particularly. Yeah. And so, they were getting offers from American studios saying, come over and do a big budget movie here. And instead, what they did was they said, no, nah, <laughs> I love this novel. I'm going to adapt it. Just this, this like drug movie from Glasgow or yeah. or wherever. <laughs> Ed, Edinburgh, and uh, 
so th- they sort of said, no, we're going to do something that we really love instead yeah. of something that's got a bigger price tag attached to it. And I think that that really comes through because it's it was something that he really gave a shit about. But then later on in his career, he's gone off, he's done something like Slumdog, which is obviously, you know, he probably still cared deeply about, but it's yeah. this massive story. It's not his background, um, but he's kind of had this vast wealth of experience he's done horror in um 28 days and then worked on high budget horror 28 weeks and then after all of that he's come back to this world yeah. of this tiny little bubble in scotland and he's bringing all of that huge big budget experience back to this small nuanced yeah. rough grimy world of um <laughs> Of Scotland. And, and it, it really does feel it, like a little bubble, doesn't it? It really like, does, it does, especially the first one did. But the yeah. second one, I, I felt like, you're right, it, it, it felt more mature is, is yeah. a, a really good way of putting it. Um, the, I, thought, I thought so. He used some really interesting uh, lighting and color uh, through a lot of this film. Yeah. I don't know if you were looking out for it, but... Um, mm. There were a, a lot of this was like he. I noticed at one point, like uh, Renton walks into the pub and he's green lit. Like the whole when do you walk into a pub and it's green? But of course, like on principle, I only pick green well, yeah, pubs. Yeah, you know, yeah. I only walk into Irish you know pubs. That, you know that about me. Um, <laughs> uh, but he, um, you know, it, it it had the right feeling to it, and it was this unnerving alienish kind of feeling. It was right towards the end of the film, and he's being threatened by multiple characters. Um, so he gets there and it's this hostile, like alien environment. Yeah. Um, and I, just the lighting and, and, and the set design works really, really well. Yeah. Um, even like it's almost a cliche, but it works. Like one of the final scenes in this movie, um, the, there's a brothel that's being built and one of the rooms in the brothel has mirrors on all four <laughs> walls and, uh, you know, Renton becomes literally trapped looking every way back in on himself and, um, and yeah. uh, and that's very clever made like for, a, then like made a for very intelligent people yeah 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 like the shining style yeah um, it was like that so uh, yeah and, and not just with those couple of examples but throughout the entire film there's scenes that that are um, in the same way that the first one had those kind of surreal breaks from reality yeah it does that but it does it in a more interesting way I think or at least a less ham-fisted way or really different and I um, think well, yeah. I, it, the yeah, I'm speaking film, disparagingly of the first one, but the tone the, it's of the just first film kind of feels right. teenagery, yeah, and it kind of feels fun and goofy. Well, th- these are their first experiences; it's the first yeah. time they're experiencing, that, literally, and yeah. that's gone now. The tone of the film kind of relates to the to the way the characters are feeling, yeah. which is like goofy and teenagery and fun loving, and then the the twenty years later, the film feels kind of weary and mature. Yeah, and it feels kind of yeah, and yeah. they're sitting there, and instead of like you know this, they're sitting in front of this huge wall of like moving lights and colors. And instead yeah. of grinning off their faces because they're, you know, fucked out on smack, they both just look really tired. Yeah. They just look tired. Yeah. And one of them, like, gets <laughs> up to go like, to the bathroom. Oh, man, I know how you feel. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, and, it, and it is, you know, in, like, we're obviously not quite part of that generation or no. culture, but, but I think there's a shared... There is a bit of a shared sense there of, like, uh, just the more weariness you have as yeah. you just... You're past that, 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 that pure youth where all of your experiences are new. Um, and, you know, people do try to replicate that constantly um, and it becomes incredibly tiring. And it's yeah. never quite the same as it was once. Yeah. You know? No. Uh, <laughs> I think Before it's done a really good, really good job of replicating that that sensation. Yeah, and I agree. Um, well, 
before this episode gets into a, becoming just a massive bummer. Too late. <laughs> uh, should we wrap- I'm bummed out. How's everyone else doing? <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, should we wrap it up? I thought- Ooh, I'm sad. <laughs> I don't have a better than worse than. I definitely think I enjoyed watching them bump- They're like, on par. Yeah, watching them back yeah, to back, sure. I thought, gun to my head, I enjoyed the first one better than the second one. But I thought they were both fantastic movies. And I'm, I'm trying to think of what other movies I've yeah. seen that are like- Nuanced cautionary drug tales. I think that <laughs> the other one. Okay, so here's a good comparison. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. Where would you place this? Uh, I thought Wolf of Wall Street was better. Okay, interesting. Because yeah. I would rate these. That's tough. They're very different. <laughs> they, they, they're really very different. But they're by both... your own petard there, boy. <laughs> well, they're very different. But I, I was going to say I enjoy them more, but I think I. Th- I think Scorsese had a massive budget. You know, his films cost $300 million. And I think what Boyle's managed to do dollar for dollar is more impressive. But yeah. um, they're going for different things. So, yeah. I think, like, probably, yeah, it, it's it's better than... Uh, this is a cop-out, but in some ways, it's better than Wolf of Wall Street in terms of that cautionary drug tale. In some ways, Wolf of Wall Street is funnier. Yeah. Um, for parts of it, but it's also more crass. <laughs> so I, I would, there would definitely be days where you would catch me saying that both of these were better than Wolf of Wall Street. You're right. That is a total cop out. Worse than, um, yeah, I don't know. There's some of there, these, those would be up there with, you know, my favorite movies, certainly in the, in the black comedy genre. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe something- some, uh, I, uh, maybe like for British stuff, uh, some of Edgar Wright's things, like I would rate oh, these yeah. just yeah, below sure. Hot Fuzz. Yeah, you know, but they're pretty close. Like, and I think Hot Fuzz has a soft spot. I think looking back, these are doing kind of more difficult work. Fuck, Hot know? Fuzz is so funny. It's so good. Jesus Christ, I love that movie. It's <laughs> really good. <laughs> but yeah, I reckon all in all, definitely watch Train Spotting. Uh, I think the best way to enjoy these movies is to watch Train Spotting ten years ago. Watch it several times yeah. in the last ten years, yeah. Yeah. and then watch Train Spotting two tomorrow in twenty twenty seven. So get on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can either you can either travel in time yep. and fix that problem, or yep. yeah, you got to watch the first one mm. tomorrow, and then the next one. Yeah, yeah. So twenty forty two. Let us know uh, after episode four hundred and eighty seven <laughs> of Beef Station. Oh, more than that. <laughs> <laughs> whether you um whether you enjoyed transporting episode a thousand or some shit. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, do we do episode a thousand or do we just kill ourselves? Uh, I don't oh. know if I have that much of a choice in the matter, really. <laughs> <laughs> Should we kick it to the news? Yeah, let's. I feel like we, at a point we could just start recycling that. No, we do that fresh never. every week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fresh for you, dear listener. <laughs> Tim Allen was on uh, Jimmy oh, Fallon boy. recently. <laughs> says, says that the original Santa Claus script, you know, the Santa Claus, yep. was a little darker. Quote. <laughs> I actually shot and killed Santa in the original script. <laughs> no, he did that last Which week. Which would have been fucking crazy. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. No, that's the headline. Tim Allen shot and killed Santa Claus last yeah. week. Sorry, kids. Absolutely. <laughs> Which I would have fucking loved. <laughs> you haven't seen the Santa Claus? Yeah, I've oh, seen man. it. That's our Christmas episode. Is-, is Yeah, I have a difficult time separating art from artist because <laughs> Tim Allen is a massive piece of shit. Tim Allen's <laughs> great. Don't we like Tim Allen? No, he is a we don't- fucking dick. We don't like Tim Allen? Tim Allen is a horrible human. Oh, yeah. oh, never mind. Nah, he's an abysmal dude. Oh, man. Yeah, he's bad. He's about Chris Brown now. No. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no. Um- different, different, but same. 
news about Toy Story 4 uh, is going to include Keanu Reeves. Holy fuck, really? Yeah, Keanu Reeves is going to have a part. Oh, uh, that is very cool. A bit cool. part in Toy Story 4. Oh, he's Story got such 4. a good voice. <laughs> Quote, he hinted that it's a toy with an intense personality. <laughs> yes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> fuck I hope yeah. he plays like the equivalent of Eeyore. He'd be a great Eeyore character. <laughs> I would you know? watch like- He's just sad as fuck. I, I would watch like a Disney real life movie uh, re- re-adaptation of Winnie the Pooh, but it's just Eeyore. What if it's, it's just, what if it's just an, a John Wick action figure? <laughs> That'd be funny. And that's like what his character is in Toy Story. Oh shit, we have to trace like great. which studios own which properties yeah, 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 to see yeah, yeah, if Disney yeah, yeah. owns see John Wick. Possible. Oh, Christ. <laughs> they did a Fortnite crossover. They're willing to sell out, I guess. <laughs> uh, Tim Allen was talking about it, sorry. And he said... Um, <laughs> uh, what wasn't Tim Allen talking about? <laughs> All my... New- not going to lie, Billy. I didn't do the news. I just watched this Tim Allen interview with Jimmy <laughs> Just Fallon. went on Tim Allen's Twitter and scrolled a couple of times. <laughs> Uh, Tim Allen said Actually a little inside story About Keanu Reeves He even said He's a gentle Wonderful guy that he is He said Oh this sounds too much Like Buzz Lightyear And his, his character Does have an edge to it And the guy said So he calmed him down A little bit And that <laughs> And they reminded me That his toy Is only that big No matter of the size Of his character The role represents A big departure for Reeves <laughs> Oh So you know He's really Plumbing himself out Into the deep end Look forward to hearing About that movie Yeah um, we watched that. Tra- we should have talked about this in the trailer segment. Um, you know that Robin Hood, Guy Ritchie kind of movie that's coming out. The one with uh, Taron Egerton, the uh, Kingsman yes. dude. Yes, yes, Where it's yes. kind of like that Guy Ritchie style shit, where it's like half modern, half not. Not a Guy Ritchie movie. Really? Yeah, it's it's directed uh-huh. by. <laughs> 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 that's a sweet home improvement reference for you. There. <laughs> I thought it was like zoinks. No, no, um, no, no, no. Um, There's a big crossover there, but okay, no. Good. Um, no, it's directed by some dude <laughs> named Otto. Fuck yeah! Um, it, it was a hundred million dollar budgeted film. The the week after its release, so far it has made twenty two point eight million dollars around the world out of a hundred million dollar budget. Biggest flop of of the year uh, for a film budgeted over ninety million. Otto Bathurst. What's th- what's this guy done? And uh, oh, Peaky Blinders. But like, here's how unoriginal and like (laughs) bullshit this film was. I thought I got it confused with that King Arthur Legend of the Sword Guy Ritchie movie that came out um, like last year. It just seems like the same fucking movie and it's not. And it's, oh man, it just looks so bland and boring and, and, and shit. Oh, fuck. This guy directed the first episode of Black Mirror, which is, like, I think the best and most shocking episode of it. That sucks. <laughs> all, they all got a really good director of uh, on this. Yeah. He did a great job. That, if Apparently you haven't not. seen... If you've, like... I know, I know Black Mirror's become a bit of a joke because it's, like... What if everyone on Tinder, when you swipe left, they die? What if your headphones were people? i pay for that. What if John Hamm was Ham? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what if John Ham was ham and sold hammers, but the hammers were made of ham? <laughs> what would that be like? Maxwell anyway. Silver Hammer would be a totally different song. <laughs> um, next one. So, uh, what, what I was going to say is if you haven't seen, like, I know Black Mirror has become a bit of a joke, but the yeah. first episode ever was, was um, some of the most. Uh, oh, speaking of ham, was that the one where the dude fucks a pig? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. That's why I was Prime Minister John Ham. Yes, we did it. Boom. Um, um yeah, that uh that, that that's an intense fucking episode. So yeah. that director, he's pretty good. I'm I'm sad to hear that that's not doing very well. Nah, fuck him. 
He ripped, totally ripped off Guy Ritchie style. He deserves to flop. Well, uh, I think if it was that much of an influence, yeah, it's getting bad. Or yeah, oh no, fuck, fuck that. a meta score of thirty three. Jesus Christ. Uh, Donald Glover and Rihanna to star in a new movie. Uh, directed by the dude who directed the This Is America video clip. <laughs> That's <was> good. <laughs> you like that music video? Here's a whole feature-length movie called... I think music videos are a really good indicator of someone's directing skill because it? they only have a tiny little bit to work with. Called Carry on. Guava Island. That's all I got. I Builders, have no reaction A childish Gambino film. Two other people you've never heard of starring it. And this dude has also worked with Glover on his FX show, Atlanta, which is apparently fantastic. Oh, yeah. Apparently, that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, I cool. look forward to seeing that. Donald Glover is an amazing actor. Yeah. It's hilarious. I don't know. In my mind, he was Lando last. And he was really he good not in, do a good job? He was really good in Community. Yeah, he's um, great. He's he's a great comedy actor, so I think it will <laughs> will uh, depend heavily on that. Yeah, you know how. See, something I love. You know how, like, so this next story I've got here, it's like, um, you'll get like an, an, an you know a news publication online that will sort of pick two pieces of information and be like, I'm gonna relate them like this. Yep. <laughs> Here's the headline: um, Julie Andrews takes on the Mary Poppins sequel with her role in Aquaman. <laughs> The Oscar-winning actress what? will voice the mythical character Carathen in the DC film Aquaman, which is said to be released at the same time as the sequel to the 1964 classic Mary Poppins, which, of course, Julie Andrews starred in. So, let's see who wins. Oh. Aquaman or Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, man. That's some serious... <laughs> the weird They're headline? seriously trying to get, like, both clicks from both worlds, you know? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, oh, right, okay, that's, that's not even really fine. Yeah, that should have been, like, one sentence at the end of either one of those articles was, like, <laughs> interestingly enough, she was also in this, which the sequel to which is coming out this year or whatever. What the fuck? I don't think it's even the same week. It's, uh, like, have we talked also about... coming out roughly the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, <laughs> have we talked about how absolutely shit the Aquaman trailer looks? <laughs> I don't know if we've approached it on this show. God, that looks fucking dog shit. I'm not going <laughs> to gonna see it but um i listened to another podcast where the guy's least favorite tropes in movies are anything underwater and anything in space and he said that aquaman trailer was just like 10 out of 10 trash yeah 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 absolutely (laughs) it just some of the worst dialogue i've seen in actual movies in the trailer the hot horse man is shirtless for most of the movie it seems so you know (laughs) <laughs> well, that might be enough to change my mind. Yeah, we'll get see. an audience somehow. Uh, the final, uh, the final story I've got is actually just a movie that I think sounds pretty good. Seth Rogen um, has a movie coming out. <laughs> Seth Rogen's yet to be titled pickled comedy <laughs> as, um, as announced part of its cast. I'm intrigued. Um, Seth Rogen, I think, is going to be directing it um, alongside some dude who he's worked on a couple of other films in the past with. Um, Simon Rich penned the screenplay, which is based on his own story, which was detailed in some novella he got published in The New Yorker. Seth Rogen will star as Herschel Greenbaum, a struggling laborer who immigrates to America in 1918 with the dreams of building a better life for his beloved family. Excuse me. For his beloved family. One day, while working at his factory job, he falls into a vat of pickles and is brined for a hundred (laughs) years. 
Fuck yeah. See, already, you were bored. You went from bored to all in, right? I wasn't bored. I was focusing on something else, but boy, did that hook my attention. <laughs> the brine preserves Seth Rogen perfectly, and when he emerges in present-day Brooklyn, he finds that he hasn't aged a day. What if, what if your pickles... Was Seth Rogen? <laughs> he's horrified to learn that his only surviving relative is great grandson Ben Greenbaum. A this mild is Futurama, but compu- he falls yeah. into pickles. Yeah, a mild-mannered computer coder <laughs> whom Herschel can't even what? begin to understand. <laughs> Fuck yeah! All in on Seth Rogen's yet-to-be-titled pickled comedy, right. which is obviously going to be titled "Fucking Pickled." It is titled. You gave me the title. <laughs> Because, like, why quite call it that? Because otherwise, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm one of them pickle comedies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be mistaken with any pickle-based comedy. <laughs> it is. What? It is. Yeah, uh, uh, how else are we going to stand out from the vinaigrette movies? <laughs> it's like they tried to make a live-action Futurama movie, and yeah. they were like, right, so if he falls into a cryogenic Has machine- if Matt Groening's that- okay with this? Like- <laughs> He's not? Oh, fuck. <laughs> so, so it's like, right, so if Fry falls into a cryogenic machine, uh, he can be brought forward a thousand years. We can't afford that. What if he just falls into a fucking jar of pickles? <laughs> How much time what? does that buy us? A hundred years? He's got to fall into something else. Damn it. Would you stop eating those goddamn... <gasps> That's it. <laughs> Very excited for Seth Rogen's as yet untitled pickled movie. Well, <laughs> should we leave it there again, for another week? I, I'm I'm interested. <laughs> I'm more interested okay. than I was. <laughs> so that was that was our news segment. Thanks for joining us for another week of Beef Station. Uh, if you want to get in contact with the show, our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. You can send all complaints that way. Mm-hmm. If you have any requests, uh, there's a couple of new movies coming out that we're pretty interested in seeing. If there's any particular ones that you'd be interested in getting our take on, you can send us an email or tweet us. It's beefstationpod on Twitter. At beefstationpod. Yeah. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash beefstationpod. If you just type Beef Station Pod in literally anywhere, just, you'll yep, get there. You'll get it there. All roads lead to Beef Station. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's right. We're Rome. <laughs> End it there. End it there. <laughs> I'm Oscar. Andrew. Have a good week.